Thank you, Pastor Self. How many are grateful for God's grace? We're going to talk about that this morning. But also, isn't this beautiful up here? Uh, I always get one of my favorite times in the year is the week of vacation Bible school. And all the children we have here, probably hundreds of boys and girls have come to Christ through Vacation Bible School. I believe this is about the 39th year we've been doing this. And we have, you know, we've had up to seven or 800 children at times. But anyway, uh, in fact, the other day, I was, uh, I forgot where I was at, but a lady approached me. She was probably in her late 30s, coming to me and says, I know you. I said, well, ma'am, who are you? And she told me her name. She says, you are Peaster Patterson. (laughs) Now, that that is a name given to me by Mr. Goofball during vacation Bible school. Pastor Peterson, he calls me Peaster Patterson. And she said, at seven years old, I come to vacation Bible school, and I trusted Christ as my Savior. And then she says, I have four children, and all four of them are coming this year to vacation Bible school. So it's a wonderful week. If you've never been there, I encourage you to come maybe just to visit us during the uh, first half hour from 9 to 9.30 in the open assembly. That's when all the activities go on. The fun guests we have, Mr. Goofball will be there. And uh, I'm sure you're going to hear the title, Peaster Patterson, again. But a wonderful, wonderful week. So please pray uh, that for this week. Pray for safety for all the children. Pray for good weather. We don't want it to rain. And just a wonderful time together. We'll be very grateful. Turn your Bibles again to Acts 16, please. Acts chapter 16. I'd like to begin this morning with a four-part message on God's wonderful salvation. How many are grateful for salvation? And we're going to talk about that beginning today. Interesting, while I was recovering from my heart attack, several times I woke up during the night with messages going through my head. And this is one of them. In fact, two weeks ago, I did one on the assurance of salvation. That was a message probably 3 o'clock in the morning came to me. And I wanted to share with you, so this message, four part, it was also probably about four o'clock in the morning. I don't know if the Holy Spirit woke me up, or I'm just so used to it. I don't know what it was, but anyway, this is a message I got, and I want to share with you. We're going to begin in part one, and next week will be an interruption. Next week is Father's Day. So I'll bring a message for fathers, then two weeks later we begin in part two of God's Wonderful Salvation. So we're going to talk this morning about what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe? In our chapter we read here, let me give you some background. The Apostle Paul was arrested and put in prison for preaching the gospel. And while he was in there, they beat him several times. And so no doubt he was very sore, but he responded by singing praises. He sang praises to God while he was in prison. And so while he was in there, as he sang praises, there was an earthquake, and which caused all the doors of the prisons to open up, and about that time, the jailer who was sleeping woke up and he saw the doors of the prison open and he assumed they all escaped. Now, his job was to keep them, you know, in the prison. And he knew if he any got out, it would cost him his life. So the Bible said he pulled a sword, he was going to kill himself because the, the king would kill him for letting the, letting the prisoner escape. And as he had the sword fixing to fall on his sword, Paul says, my friend, do thyself no harm for all here. And no doubt that was a great relief for him. And then he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What do I have to do to go to heaven? What do I have eternal life? And Paul said what? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. What does it mean to believe? We're going to look at that this morning. 
In order for a person to believe in Christ, first of all, there's truths we must understand. There are truths from the Bible a person must understand to believe in Christ as Savior. And if you came this morning, you got a bulletin, please, uh, there's an insert you can use to take notes with. You can follow along. The answers will be on the screen. And the scripture will turn to many of them. I'll be giving the page numbers um, of those uh, scriptures. First of all, the first truth, number one, or letter A, is we all have sinned. Now, to many of you, this will be nothing new. This is the foundation of the next three messages, so bear with me. There are some here who do not understand this. For those of you who do, let's rejoice again in the great truths of God's word. But anyway, we all have sinned. In Romans 3.23, it says, notice look at uh, on the screen, believe it me. It says, for many have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Does it say that? Yeah. It says, most have sinned. It says what? All. By the way, does that word all include you? Yes. Does it include me? It includes all of us. So from the perspective of a holy God in heaven, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The word sin basically means miss the mark. Many years ago, my wife and I went out to the Grand Canyon, and we go to the edge of the canyon. Some of it was over a mile across. And I thought about, what if we all got together and lined up across that and got a rock and see who hit the other side? Now, some of us might get closer than others, but nobody would hit the other side. We'd all come short of the other side. And the Bible says there's a standard for heaven. It's perfection. You have to be as righteous as God. And the problem is we're not. For we all have what? We've all missed that mark. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The word sin is defined as the transgression of God's laws. What the Bible is saying, we've all broken God's commandments. We've all have transgressed his laws. There's no one perfect. We've all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Ecclesiastes 7.20 for there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. No one's righteous before God. No one does good. In fact, Paul said there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. In the face of a holy God, no one's righteous. No one does good. We all have sinned. Number two, or letter B, the second thing we need to understand to believe is we all owe a penalty. We all owe a penalty. Because we've sinned, because we've broken God's laws, commandments, there's a price tag to pay. There's a penalty to pay. And Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. The word wages means uh, talking about something you've earned. Many of you have a job where you earn a paycheck. My friend, because you've broken God's laws, you've earned God's punishment. You've earned his judgment. And the wages of sin is death. The word death means to be separated from God forever in a place called hell. Because we all have sinned, we all owe a penalty. Number three, or letter C, we cannot save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, in that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 9, Not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. What are you saying here? Please listen. First of all, we've all sinned. Just being honest. No one's perfect. And because we've sinned, we've earned the judgment of God. The wages of sin is death. And listen carefully. You can do nothing of yourself to save yourself from that penalty. 
your works, your conduct, your behavior, things you do may be good in life, will not pay for sin. Because the payment for sin is not good works. The payment for sin is not church membership. The payment for sin is not baptism. Those are good things to do, but the payment for sin is what? Death. So basically, I'm a sinner. I owe God a penalty, and I can do nothing of myself to save myself from that. I cannot save myself. So far, that's bad news, isn't it? But the next point, we need to understand another truth, is Christ came to save us. Christ came to save us. Romans 5, 8, But God committed his love toward us, and that while we had sinners, Christ died for who? Us. In other words, I owe a penalty to God, and that penalty is death. If I pay it, I have to go to hell to do it. But the good news is God sent his son to pay it for me. He sent his son to do for me what I cannot do for myself to save me. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us unto God. Basically we're saying here, the suffering for my sin that I deserve, Christ did on the cross. He died on the cross, he suffered for my sins, and was buried and rose again. 1 John 3.16 Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for what? Us. Look where please. Now, most of you know this, but these are truths you need to understand in order to believe in Christ. The first one, we're all sinners. The second one, because we've sinned, we owe a penalty. We deserve God's punishment. Third one, we cannot save ourselves. There's nothing I can do to save myself from that penalty. But the good news is God loved me in spite of it all. And he sent his son to do for me what I can't do for myself. When Christ came, the one who knew no sin became sin for us. And God the Father punished him for what you've done wrong. He died in your place. He was buried and he rose again. These are facts a person must understand to be saved. Number two. Talking about truths must understand. Number two, a decision to make. Believing is a decision to make. To believe is the only requirement to be saved. I need to understand that. The only thing God requires of the sinner to be saved, to go to heaven, is to believe in Christ as Savior. Remember what Paul told the Philippian jailer? I mean, he had his sword pulled and going to kill himself. And he had just a very short time to share with this man how to go to heaven. And the man says, sir, what must I do to be saved? This implies he understood the truth. He understood that he was a sinner. He understood there was a penalty. He understood he could not save himself. He understood that when Christ died, he died for him. And now he had a decision to make. And, the may, and, and is to believe. He says, sir, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to go to heaven? What must I do to have eternal life? What did Paul say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say believe and behave. He didn't say believe and go to church. He didn't say believe and clean up your act. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. In other words, to believe is the only requirement to be saved. The only thing God requires of you to go to heaven is to believe in Christ as Savior. That's all that's necessary. In fact, the Gospel of John, over 98 times, the sole condition for salvation is to believe. In fact, I encourage you to go through the book of John. Every time you see the word believe, circle it, highlight it. 
over 98 times the soul condition is to believe. In fact, go with me there, please. Just to show you a couple times. Go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 3. Just a few times, right? And chapter 3 is used over and over again. All you have to do to have eternal life is to believe in Christ as Savior. John 3. Look at me in verse 15, please. John 3, 15. John 3, verse 15. That whosoever what? Anyone. Whoever does this. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish. means should not go to hell, but have eternal life. Look in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Look in verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Look in verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Over and over again, the sole condition for salvation to have eternal life is to believe. Now go to the last, go to chapter 20 of John, please. In fact, here we have the reason John wrote the book. John 20, please, in verse 31. This is the key verse of the Gospel of John, and John tells us at the end why he wrote the book. The reason he wrote this Gospel, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, he says this, John 20, 31. But these are written that you might, what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his what? Over and over again, that's the sole condition of salvation is to believe in Christ as Savior. Now, you say, well, Pastor, wait a minute. What about repentance? Doesn't the unbeliever have to repent to be saved? The answer is yes. But first of all, let me show you verses on this. Repentance is essential for salvation. Repentance is essential for salvation. Let me give you a few verses. Luke 13, 3. Christ said, I tell you, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Acts 17, 30. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But as long-suffering toward us, Lord, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. But listen carefully. Repentance is not an additional act. It is an inclusive part of faith. It's not an additional act. It's an inclusive, essential part of faith. Here's what Henry Thiessen said in his book of Systematic Theology. He said, Repentance is not a satisfaction rendered to God but a condition of the heart necessary before we can believe unto salvation. Furthermore, true repentance never exists apart from faith. Evangelist John Van Gelderen, which we had here this past year, defines repentance this way. The word repent means to change one's mind or one's way of thinking. Simply put, uh, the decision of repentance and faith is a decision whereby you admit that you have sinned and are presently headed to the judgment of hell, 
But knowing that Jesus Christ paid your penalty, you transfer your dependence only to him to save you from sin and hell. Transferring your dependence means you have changed your way of thinking. So basically, someone said this, an unbeliever cannot become a believer without changing his mind. That's talking about repentance for salvation. Acts 20, 31, let me quote it for you. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen carefully, please. You can repent without believing, but you cannot believe without repenting. Let me say that again. You can repent without believing, but you cannot believe without repenting. By the way, Repentance required, but the Gospel of John, nowhere in that Gospel do you find the word repent. It's not there. It's implied, because when a person believes, he's repented. I remember one time a man who was talking about salvation, he was very strong. You have to be good to go to heaven. You've got to behave yourself and live a righteous life, you won't be saved. I said, can I show you some scripture? And so I share with him Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that you're saved by God's grace through faith. It's not of yourself. It is a gift from God, not of works. His eyes got big. I turned to Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, because mercy would save us. I show him verse after verse. He says, you know, you're right. You know, he did. He repented. He changed his mind. I said, okay, will you now trust Christ? I'm not ready to do that. So he repented without believing, but you cannot believe without repenting. Does it make sense to you? Repentance is to change your mind about who God is, who I am, and the way of salvation. God is a holy, righteous God. He loves me, but he hates my sin. I am a sinner deserving the judgment of a holy God. And if I pay for my sin, I've got to go to hell to do it. And I cannot save myself. It's a change of mind about going to heaven. It's not my works, but it's God's grace through faith that I can be saved. Interesting. So, repentance is... Uh, so what is belief? Let it be now. What does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe? First of all, number one, it's not just a mental assent about the facts of the gospel. It's not just a mental assent or talking about acknowledgement, agreement about the facts of the gospel. Let me explain it to you. The four things we covered, the truths you understand, we're sinners, we have a penalty, we cannot save ourselves, Christ came to save us. You can believe all those and still go to hell. These are just facts that we must understand and believe to be saved. But belief is not just a mental ascent toward those facts. Number two, it's a complete and total trust. Number two, it's a complete and total trust. The word believe in the Bible is not just a mental ascent toward the facts, though I must understand the facts. It's my dependence, my faith, my trust in Christ that brings salvation. One of my favorite professors in Bible college, his name was Dr. Mark Cameron. He taught for many years at Tennessee Temple, then eventually went to Florida Bible College and was a professor there. He had a course he taught was Bible doctrine, and he wrote a book on Bible doctrines. And here's what he wrote. He used the word saving faith. The biblical faith is composed of four elements. He said it again. Faith that saves is composed of four elements. Number one, knowledge. Knowledge. We talked about truths you must understand. Knowledge. I must come to understand and know I'm a sinner. 
I owe a penalty. I cannot save myself. The truth is, Christ came to save me. That's the knowledge. Number, number two, the second element of saving faith is trust. I'm sorry, and, and um, third segment is belief. Tr the first one, knowledge. second one, belief. Talking about agreements, acceptance of the truth. In other words, you, you can accept the fact that Christ died, but that's not sufficient. You can uh, acknowledge that truth. That is history. So there's knowledge, there's belief. Number three, trust. In fact, that's what the biblical word believe means, trust. I need to trust Christ to do for me what I can't do for myself. I have the knowledge I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I understand. I believe that Christ died for me. Yes, amen. But now I need to trust him, to trust in my Savior. And the fourth word Dr. Cameron used is the word recumbency, which means to lean and solely rest upon. To lean and solely rest upon. And that's implied in the third one, the trust. So the trust we have in Christ that saves us is why I completely and totally trust Christ and him alone is among hope for heaven. Now, number three, to believe is a decision or choice we make. To believe is a decision or choice we make. Go now with me, please, to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, <clears throat> page 1593, please. Romans 10. There are truths we must understand, and then we must understand them, then make a decision to trust Christ. A decision to make. Romans chapter 10, verse 12, page 1593. It said, verse 12 said, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that what? Call upon him. Romans 10, 12. Verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Amen. Saved. The word call means to cry out to. Look at me, please. Remember the truths? You said, I've said them several times. Let me say them again. There are certain truths I need to understand to believe. The first one, I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I've broken God, because I broke God's laws, I owe a penalty. And if I pay my penalty, I have to go to hell to do it. And my friend, I cannot save myself. All the good works and deeds that I do in life will not pay for my sin. I cannot save myself. And God saw me in that desperate situation, a bankrupt sinner. He sent his son to save me. These are facts you understand. But the decision now... People reach that point and they stop there. I believe that Christ died for me. Okay, we trust him as your Savior. Whosoever shall call upon him, the Lord, shall be. That's a decision. I understand the truth. I'm a sinner. I'm going to hell and I can't save myself. But Jesus died for me on the cross. Call upon him to save you. It's a decision that you make based upon the truths, the facts are there. You can stop at that fourth one. That Christ died for my sins. Stop it. I believe that. Okay? We trust him to be your savior. We trust him to forgive you and give eternal life. It's a decision we make. When he says call is a decision. I can't save myself. Lord, I call upon you to save me. And that's done by putting your trust in Christ to be your savior. But to believe is a decision, a choice to make. Next, let me share with you, Christ is sufficient. 
Christ is sufficient. Jesus is not only necessary, but Jesus is enough. He is all that's required. The work, the effort, the merit required of me to be saved, Jesus did at the cross. And he is sufficient to save. Salvation comes through faith alone in Christ alone. Salvation comes through faith alone in Christ alone. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace are you saved through faith. A good definition of faith is take the word faith, F-A-I-T-H, make an acronym. Each letter represents a word. Faith is forsaking all, I trust him. Forsaking all, I trust him. Forsaking any other means or hope for heaven, I trust Christ alone. He's not only necessary, he's enough, and I'm going to trust him alone. By the way, I know you've heard me say this before. If Christ is not enough, I'm not going to make it. You know why? He's my only hope. I have no other hope or trust but him. And that's what brings salvation. Faith is refusing to trust anything else. I trust Christ alone. All the good things you may do in life, I don't look to any of those. I don't trust any of those. I trust Christ alone. Hebrews 12.2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The word looking means to turn your eyes away from something and focus on one thing. Looking away from your good works, look to Christ. Look away from your baptism, look to Jesus. Look away from your tithing, look to Jesus. Look away any other thing else, I look to Christ and him alone for salvation. But you understand this, number three. To add something to Christ for salvation, several things. People say, well, Christ is necessary, but he's not enough. And people add to him things. First of all, to add something to Christ for salvation is a false gospel. Is a false gospel. A message that cannot save. Go with me now to Galatians, please. Galatians. In fact, it will be page 1637. Galatians chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians. So you know you're close. Then you got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So God eats popcorn, someone says. Good way to remember that. Or General Electric, Pepsi-Cola. <laughs> but anyway, Galatians 1. In other words, Paul went to this area called Galatia. Glacier was not a town. It was an area like Pasco County. He went to Glacia and planted several churches. Why he was there, he planted, led people to Christ, planted churches. He moved on to another place. After he left, people come in behind him. They were called Judaizers. And they came and said that Christ was necessary. Faith is necessary, but it's not enough. And you have to do something in addition to that. And we're going to talk about it in just a moment. But notice what Paul said that in Galatians 1, verse 6. Because people began to believe this false gospel. He said, I marvel that you have so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto a what? Another, another different kind, another gospel. In other words, they, though they trusted Christ, they began to believe something that was not true. They believed that Christ was necessary, but now because of false teaching, they begin to believe he's not enough. A false gospel says that Christ is necessary, but not enough. 
Now, in Paul's name, what were these Judaizers adding to faith? They were adding to faith circumcision. Circum, the law of Moses. That's what they did. In fact, I believe the verse on the screen, Paul's day, they, they, it was faith plus circumcision. That's not what Paul preached. That's what false teachers preach. In Acts 15.1, And certain men, which came down from Judea, taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the man of Moses, you cannot be what? Saved. So they said faith is necessary in Christ. But it's not enough. You've got to believe and be circumcised or you won't be saved. That's what they taught back then. And Paul wrote a whole book to fight against that error. You know what it's called? Galatians. You've got to read it when you get a chance. But what about our day? Do we have churches or beliefs adding to faith for salvation? For example, Roman Catholicism. It says faith plus the sacraments. The Church of Christ. Faith plus baptism. The Seventh-day Adventists, faith plus keeping the Sabbath. They say faith is necessary, but it's not enough. So how about Baptists? Do we ever add to it? Many Baptists say it's faith plus turning from sin. Faith plus commitment of life. Faith plus surrendering your life. Here's what many people do. Sometimes pastors take the requirements of the Christian life and preach them as a requirement to be saved. They take the, the requirements of the Christian life, which is baptism. Should not a believer be baptized? Yes. Should not a Christian surrender his life to Christ? Yes. Should not a Christian commit his life to live for the Lord? Yes. Should not a Christian with the Lord's help turn from his sin? Yes. But you don't do these to be saved. You do them because you are saved. They follow. Here's what many preachers do, which is tragic. They look in their parishioners. They see people not living like they ought to. And to clean up the loose living in the pew, they change the gospel of grace to the gospel of works. They change the message of Christ to get the people to clean up the loose living in the pews. And so when they begin to preach a false gospel. Now, please listen. To add something to Christ is not only a false gospel, it disqualifies one of salvation. To add something to Christ for salvation is not only a false gospel, it disqualifies one from salvation. Go with me now to Romans, please. Romans chapter 11, page 1594, Romans 11. When I first read this, I read it over and over again. It just seemed so confusing. What does this verse mean? And you probably, when I read it, you go, what does this verse mean? I'll explain it to you. Romans 11, verse 6, page 1594. Romans eleven six. 6. Look what it says. The first four words. And if by what? By the way, are we saved by grace? Romans, in fact, Pastor Self sang about it. We say, for by grace are you saved through faith. And Paul said, if, he say, and since it's by grace, read on, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it's no more of grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What does that mean? <laughs> Look up here, please. What it means by definition, grace is the opposite of works. You cannot look to both for salvation. For example, if it's daytime outside, it cannot be nighttime, right? 
Otherwise, daytime isn't daytime. But if it's nighttime outside, it cannot be daytime. Otherwise, nighttime isn't nighttime. If it's by grace, it's no more works. If you look in your works, there's no more grace. You, how would you like to stand before a holy God not having grace or mercy? Look to your works to save you. If it be of works, it is no more of grace. My friend, we have the grace of God by trusting Christ as Savior. So if you add something to faith in Christ for salvation, it's a false gospel, it perverts the message, but also it disqualifies one of salvation. Galatians 5.2, Paul said this, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, it means the idea to do this to be saved, Christ shall profit you nothing. Look away, please. What he's saying is this. He told them, because remember the Judaizers came behind, began to preach his faith plus circumcision. Paul said, listen, if you be circumcised with the idea that's going to get you saved, Christ shall profit you zero. The work he did on the cross was finished there, but what he did for you will profit you nothing if you look to something other than him for salvation. Basically, Christ plus circumcision equals nothing. Christ plus nothing equals salvation. Christ plus baptism for salvation equals nothing. But Christ plus nothing equals salvation. Christ plus turning from your sin for salvation profits you nothing. But Christ plus nothing equals salvation. Christ plus eating a candy bar to get you to heaven profits you nothing <laughs> but Christ alone. You understand what I'm trying to say? You add anything else to Christ, my friend, it is Christ alone that saves. So we talk about truths you must understand. There were four of them. I'm a sinner. I owe a penalty. I cannot save myself. Christ came to save me. We talked about a decision to make. When we understand the truths, I'm hopelessly lost. I need to be saved. I need to make a decision. I will trust Christ as my Savior. That I will call upon him to do for me what I cannot do for myself. Make sense? Now, let's conclude with this. A wonderful thing happens. When you do that, a wonderful thing happens. Let me give you four more clothes this morning. First of all, when I put my trust in Christ as Savior, number one, letter A, we are forgiven of all sin. God forgives you of all sin, past, present, future. It says in Acts 13, 38, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, talking about Jesus Christ, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 2, 13, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your heart, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Look over here. Good question is, the person told me, he said, Pastor, I can understand how Christ died for my past sins and forgave me for them. But how could he die for sins I haven't committed yet? My future sins. Uh, and hopefully I'll be around a, long, a little longer, but I, like all of us, I still do things wrong. The thing, what if I sin tomorrow or 10 years from the day? How could Christ die for them? How could he forgive me for them? The answer is very simply. Your future is, how many of your sins are future when Jesus Christ died on the cross? All of them. You weren't even born yet. <laughs> so the good news we can't fully understand, but we have to believe, when Jesus died on the cross, he took the sins of all humanity, from Adam to the last man who ever lives, all their sin, past, present, future, and put them on his son and punished his son for our sins. 
And when we believe in Christ, the payment made for my sins applied to me, and God forgives me of all sin. What I've done yesterday, what I'm presently doing today, what I may do tomorrow, he forgives all sin. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Next wonderful thing happens when we trust Christ. We receive eternal life. We receive eternal life. John 6, 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. The word hath me possesses right now. The next wonderful thing happens. We become a part of God's family. We become a part of God's family. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to might receive Christ, to them gave he the power, means the right or the authority, to become the sons, the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. So basically, when I call upon the Lord to save me, I trust Christ as Savior, God forgives me all sin. He gives me eternal life. And I become part of his own family. God becomes my father. I become his son. I'm born again by the Spirit of God. And lastly, we covered this two weeks ago. We are given wonderful promises. We are given wonderful promises. I may go through them quickly because we covered already. John 6, 37. Jesus said, and that the Father, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. John 6, 39. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which hath given me, I should lose nothing. John 10, 28. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Let's close with it. Look up here, please. I'm just about done. We're talking about what does it mean to believe. To believe, first of all, you need to understand four truths. The first truth, we're all sinners. The next one, we all owe penalty. The next one, we cannot save ourselves. The next one of a truth, God sent his son to die for me, to save me from my sin. Now, now that I understand those truths, I have a decision to make. Will I trust him to do for me what I cannot do for myself? When I see myself hopeless, lost, a sinner, but I realize when Christ died, he died for me, now will I call upon him to do for me what I can't do for myself? I can't save myself. I need a savior. So the decision is now, will you trust him? By the way, do you believe those four facts? Do you realize when Christ, the last one, Christ died, he died for you? He says, yes. Would you trust him? Will you rely upon him to save you? If you do, he'll forgive you. He'll give you eternal life. Now he gives you four wonderful promises. Number one, when he saves you, first of all, he said he'll forgive you of your sin. It goes on to say he gives you eternal life. He goes on to say I'll make you part of my own family. And then he gives you four promises, three promises. First one. Once you're saved, I'll never cast you out. Once you're saved, I'll never lose you. And once you're saved, you'll never perish. Neither shall anyone pluck you out of my hand. Isn't that wonderful? This is part one. We've got three more to go. Next week is Father's Day. We've got to take a postponement. But two weeks later, we'll come back with part two. So please come to part two of God's wonderful salvation. Let's bow together, please. Maybe here today and you understood those facts before. Maybe you even believe the facts. The truth is that you're a sinner. As a sinner, you owe a penalty. 
As a sinner, you cannot save yourself. But you understand the good news that God sent his son to save you from your sin. He sent his son to die on the cross to make a payment for your sin. He was buried and rose again. You may believe those facts. But have you ever personally trusted in him to save you? Have you ever called upon him to save you? Whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be saved. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. If you have never done them before, why not do it right now? Right where you're sitting, whether you're in the church here or watching by live stream. If you've never called upon the Lord to save you, if you've never placed your trust in Christ to be your Savior, why not do it right now? God's promise to you is forgiveness, eternal life, and he makes you part of his own family by trusting Christ as your Savior. Why not do it right now? You say, Pastor, that makes sense. I have never done that before, but I like to do it today. Then why not right where you're at in the quietness of your mind, place your trust by a simple prayer. Place your trust and faith in Christ to be your Savior. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? I don't know what to say. Maybe say something like this as you talk to God. Just say, dear God of heaven, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I owe a penalty. And God, I cannot save myself. But I believe that when Christ died, he died for me. He died and paid for my sin, was buried and rose again. And right here today, I'm placing my dependence, my trust, my hope in Christ as my only means for heaven. I'm choosing and making a decision to trust Christ to be my Savior right here this morning. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, my friend, if you understood that today, and you prayed with me to receive Christ as Savior, I'd like to know that. I'm not going to have you forward. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm going to do this with heads bowed and eyes closed. I, all I want to do is pray for you. But if you did that today, with no one looking around, no one leaving, if that made sense to you, <clears throat> and you trusted Christ as Savior, with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just simply raise your hand and put it back down and can't you do that today? Pastor, here's my hand. I've trusted Christ as my Savior. Would you pray for me? Anyone at all? Here's my hand. God bless you. Anyone else? Pastor, it makes sense. I'm trusting Christ as my Savior. Would you pray for me? Anyone else real quickly? I made that decision. Would you pray for me, Pastor? Father in heaven, I hope that means the rest of us here have made that decision. We're so grateful by this one indication of the hand that has placed their trust in Christ as Savior. And if they've indeed done that, the Bible is quite clear. God has forgiven them of all their sin. Hallelujah. He's given them life that lasts forever, eternal life. And now they are part of your own family, God's family. Father, I just thank you for that decision that was made. I pray now this person will share this decision with others, maybe in their family. Tell them how they can know for certain heavens are home. Father, I ask your blessing upon us. We go our separate ways. As in Christ's name, amen. All right. God.